We are joined by four very, very special guests, um, which I'll tell them because they've been very nice to, to, to come along and do this. Uh, starting with uh, the co-founder of the foundation, Matthew Smith. Uh, we're also joined by uh, Town's former Newcastle United Academy winger, Jack Robson. Uh, Chelsea Street Town's long-serving midfielder, uh, Craig Marin. Uh, you thought I was going to say something nasty there, didn't you? <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And I'm very pleased, a uh, podcast debut, uh, joining us, an old friend from uh, our Football Matters days, uh, former Football Matters host, and now doing his bit for uh, Premier League TV, and a long-term advocate of uh, mental health awareness, Andy Sixsmith. Um, this is going to be a, a, a tough podcast, a, a challenging one, where we're discussing a lot of uh, sensitive subjects uh, surrounding mental health. Um, we will give some information at the end regarding places to go to, to to speak to people if you feel the need to do that. But just to start off with, uh, we're going to go around the table um, and, and have a bit of a chat about why uh, people are here, about their circumstances, uh, and, uh, and and then we'll move on from that. So Matthew, I think it's Fair's uh, co-founder of If You Care Share Foundation. We, we shall start with you. Um, just give us a little bit of information about the, the foundation, why it was set up, and, uh, and anything else you want to say. Yeah, no problem. Um, so... If You Care Share uh, started, well, the campaign started in 2005. Um, so it was started by myself and my younger brother, Ben, um, and my cousin, Sarah, um, shortly after uh, I lost my older brother, Dan, to suicide. Um, Dan was 19 at the time, normal young lad. Um, still now, don't really know why he chose to do what he did. Um and to be honest, kind of when when we started, we just wanted to do something to remember Dan. Um, we wanted to stick his name on something and kind of be able to give it to his mate and stuff like that. And we came up, or my cousin came up with a slogan: "If you care, share." I can't take credit for it as much <laughs> as it reminds me. Um, and the idea was: if you care about your family and friends, you should share how you feel. And we contacted a local Samaritan at the time. Um, who was quite high up at the Samaritans within the northeast, and said, look, we want to sell these wristbands, we want to give the money to somebody that's going to help around this subject, um, would you be interested? And she kind of came over straight away, floods of tears, and was like, yes, 100%. Um, we wanted to target men, because Dan was a lad, um, and within the northeast and within the UK at the time, was the second biggest killer of men. Um, so we thought within the northeast, what better way to do that one through football? And we sold at all the local grounds from um, Newcastle, Millsborough, Sunderland, Darlington and Hartlepool. Um, and the whole campaign was just under 50 grand for Samaritans. And it was it was kind of, it just became a bit of a whirlwind really. And then, you know, it was my mum and dad really that took it and kind of moved it on to a point where we became a charity in our own right in 2011. And since then, we've kept the three main aims, which is to prevent suicide, train people on how to have a conversation with somebody who might be suicidal, and support somebody who is suicidal as well. Um, kind of massive gaps on the continuum from stopping to helping somebody who's lost somebody. Um, the support side is the side where you know it's just constant heartbreak of more and more people who have gone through what what I've went through or what we've went through as a family um, I, I would say I just want to prevent one person going through what I went through I think kind of you know for, for me own personal story after losing Dan kind of that it 
put me on a path I never expected to go on and there's certain anxieties certain fears I have kind of because of that um, so yeah you know while it's about if you care share kind of my personal battles to a certain extent as well is definitely relevant for the podcast Christoph uh, John we'll come to you next um, we're at Newcastle's Academy uh, in the under 18s under 18s um, yeah. we're released to and then moved to America and you've been quite open uh, about your uh, mental health struggles. Yeah, so um, I moved to America on a four-year scholarship. I moved to Saginaw Valley State University in Michigan. Um, it was a really good offer. Um, the people over there were great. I'd seen it as a great opportunity. to Obviously, after getting released, that was tough to take, but kind of took it in my stride, seen it as a new, new kind of way to... You know, get back out there and I could maybe get back in the professional game by going over to America so that's the uh, route I, I had to take and um, just I had quite a tough time when I was over there um, I was there for six weeks which in that case I was already quite embarrassed like that if that's how I felt like I felt quite embarrassed because I was literally there for six weeks yeah. and I was worried about what people would say so that was how I felt when I came back. But just during my time there, um, it was kind of like I had a few injuries, ones where I couldn't really play. Um, and I think it just stemmed from that. That wasn't like the kind of... Um, that was kind of like the catapult for it all. And yeah. um, I just kind of remember, you know, just being... Like, I didn't want to leave my room. I'd stay in my room, uh, uncontrollably crying. Like just loss of emotion yeah. literally couldn't handle it I couldn't sleep I was worrying about completely irrational things that probably wouldn't have mattered in another six weeks Yeah. but at the time it literally it felt like it was there was so much pressure on me just for various reasons but I'm back now and um, yeah, I feel I feel pretty good now you know I'm, yeah. I'm back with my family and that was the main thing for me so We'll come back into onto the stuff that you said on, on Twitter. You came out obviously yeah. quite a big big statement. We'll we'll discuss that in the moment. Uh, Craig yourself, um, football is, uh, has been uh, a mainstay of your life, whether it's supporting. Uh, yeah. We all know who you support. I think if anyone <laughs> follows you on social media knows who you support. Yeah. But um, as, as a player as well, um, your story. Um, I think my issue started um, probably seven or eight years ago um, I lost my dad 15 years ago um, through cancer he, he never missed a game whether it was juniors or, um, or Northern League football um, and when when he died um, it was a case of me stepping up to be the, the man of the family um, I've got a younger brother Ross and, and my mother Jackie um, and I took on board the responsibilities of the, the household etc then moved out and, and, and got married and, and all that time in the maybe the six or seven years since he had gone I hadn't grieved and um, it's obviously a, a big part of the trying to move on is, is grieving and I never done it and obviously there was little things creeping into my mind that then get magnified because of how you are your stress your anxiety as Chuck just said that little things that should never matter when you're in that state of mind just get yeah. multi multiplied you know um, culminating in the breakdown of your marriage I've got no doubt that my mental health problems contributed to that um, to the point where 
before before the, the marriage broke down, uh, my wife my wife at the time actually walked in on me just as I was about to to hang myself, and that was I'll never ever forgive myself for it and putting her through certain things like that. Um, no one else knows. Just it's between me and her. Sort of obviously admit this now. It's a it's a massive thing, and the reason that I'm doing it is because when you come to things like this, or so we're trying to shake a stigma of mental health, is if you're not honest, yeah. you can't get the help. You've got to admit your problems, and obviously Jack's done it. Matthew's certainly done it. You know, if more people done it, hopefully it would re- reduce the the suicide uh, rate and things like that. But um, I mean, getting back to me. The main worry I have now, and I'm over a lot of the issues I had, is that I'll be retiring in maybe one season, two, certainly three. And and all I've known for 20 years is, is Northern League football. I'm not really interested at the moment in going to, to management. So my anxiety of packing in on a Saturday, not having training on a Tuesday or a Thursday, and then the big thing, and all of us sat around here, is your, your teammates, you know, your camaraderie, your... Yeah, your group chats, everything. Without that, to be honest, I haven't got anything, you know, and it's it's a massive worry. So we'll see we'll see what happens. But obviously, having Matthew as a close pal is he's been one of his support mechanisms, and yeah. long may it continue. It's funny you mention that about the, the retiring because people talk about it at the top end of the game, but it filters all the way down. Yes, it does. Yeah, and um, we will come back onto that. Uh, Andy, for yourself, you've been a, uh, as I say earlier, the, the long term advocate of. of talk about speaking out um, and and sharing also I think firstly before I go on to me it's actually just refreshing to sit around a table and listen to three blokes admit and be as honest as you guys have been in the last five to ten minutes Um, we've already touched upon it there it's sad that we live in 2018 and this stigma still is attached to the fact that we can't talk about mental health or we shouldn't talk about mental health or we feel a little bit anxious to talk about it and we'll come on to it I'm sure but it's great just to hear you guys talk to you know about your own individual stories and you know talk about it so openly because it shows that progress is actually being made no matter how small uh, which is tremendous from my perspective I'll obviously kind of come on to the media elements of things and I see you know I interview a lot of footballers a lot of sports stars less so stars (laughs) depending on your uh, your definition of sports star but um I kind of had my own experience about seven years ago now. Um, I was at university in undergrad. I was a swimmer, um, trying to make it professional, although I was never good enough to make it properly professional. Um, and uh, I was in my final year of a degree, and basically everything just collided. Things got a little bit too much for me, uh, and I think everyone's alluded to it so far. You just go into your own little ball, your own little prism, your own little world. Um, I'm a very social person and I think the biggest worry and anxiety that I had was how good an actor I was and the sense that everyone around me and the closest person to me on this entire earth is my mum Lynn Ah, she's a tremendous woman but she didn't have a clue what was going on and I would you know Jack you were talking about it there you put yourself in your room you cry I was doing that but I'd be coming straight out and asking me flatmate what's the tape you know little things like that which are a bit odd Eventually, I kind of got over that and realised that there was an issue, uh, a huge issue, uh, for about six or seven months. There were suicidal thoughts. Ironically enough, I thought about drowning myself, which would have been interesting. Uh, height of irony that a swimmer trying to drown himself. Um, but it got to the stage where 
you know, you're going to have to seek help and you eventually bring yourself around to it. And I think the biggest thing that hits home for me is it's not just about you. Mm-hmm. People forget, you know, everyone's going through problems, but it's about the people around you as yeah. well and how much it affects Definitely. them. And you see the looks on the face. I'll never forget the look on my parents' faces when I told them first and they looked absolutely broken. And that was the worst, worst punishment you can get in entire life, seeing your parents or your loved ones broken like that. But mm. I had therapy for over a year. I then decided that I wanted to do what I always wanted to do in terms of media and, and work as a sports presenter, reporter. And, uh, you know, that's been almost like therapy for me in terms of talking about it. But going back to what we said right at the start, it is about getting more and more people out there. I encounter so many footballers in particular, rugby players as well, actually, who just try and keep themselves away from it. They've almost got this gladiator barrier around them. And it makes me laugh because I know I went through that and I didn't overcome it and not many people do. So to be surrounded by people who have overcome that tonight is very rewarding for me indeed. Uh, which I guess leaves me. Um, I've been quite open um, and written quite a lot about my experience in mental health. Um, <clears throat> all experienced around the, as Craig said, around the, the breakup of the marriage. Um, things got quite dark uh, when in my shell. Um, everything that everyone said tonight is, is wrong true, where you kind of become an actor, and, and same as Andy. Uh, my parents didn't really see it. They saw a change in me, but not enough to suggest that it was going um, as far as it did. Um, I kind of hid behind football, behind coaching. I was a grassroots coaching at the time and kind of threw myself into that where I was coaching five out of seven days a week, which mm. is crazy, but it was purely just to avoid what was really going on. Um, but uh, have have moved on uh, through through work as well, through writing and expressing myself and sharing um, and, and getting, getting things out there. Um, that's why I've been... Honoured to be part of the uh, If You Care Share Foundation. That's why we want to put together this podcast to to help people share, to help people get it out. And I think, as as Matthew said, if it helps one person listen to this, then it's been worthwhile. Yeah. Um, even if it just means a lot of men or women or children listening and uh, feeling that they've they've learned something or can relate to something that's said tonight, then again, it's worthwhile. Um, just to start us off with a general conversation, um, we've been a lot of talk about stigma. Um, feel free to jump in whoever wants to but we are all men here it it seems as if there is still despite the fact as Andy said it's 2018 there is still this you've got to be a strong man you can't you know what will it take to get rid of that what will it take to to lose that you know it's okay breaking down the dam for me I think Um, I kind of always use it as a metaphor of having this dam of people who, you know, not just men, like you say, women and children as well, who refuse to talk about it, and it, it's set in concrete almost, and as soon as cracks start appearing in that so-called dam, I think things will start opening up, and there are things being done all the time, whether they be podcasts, whether they be wonderful charities like yourself, Matthew, uh, you know, they, there are things being done left, right, and centre. Is it enough at the moment? Obviously not, because we're in you know, like we said, 2018, and it's still a thing, and, you know, we we attack sexism and racism and everything like that, and they're dealt with, but is mental health dealt with in sports, and especially in football, like we're talking tonight? I still don't think it's being done. No. No. Uh, If I just come to you, Jack, when when you were released by Newcastle, you said it was a tough time. Yeah. Was there any 
any support given by the club or by the PFA, for example? Um, well, to be fair, um, you always have the, but you get it drilled into you really when you're at the academy that there's the PFA helpline or there's charities like Matthews, like If You Care, Shane. I remember Matthew coming in, which was actually great for me because it helped me open up, especially yeah. in a football environment. So, like, I appreciate them coming in. But, yeah, um, you know... They do offer you a lot of they do offer you a lot of support, and I think that's shown through the PFA. And there's a lot of people there. Staff, the staff at the club are great, and they've got me sorted with external counselling before in my recent scholarship. So there is a lot of support there. And I think getting released is literally not a lot of people will really well. A lot of footballers will understand, but I think. The rest of like society, society don't yeah. understand how tough getting released is. It's yeah. it's like you value yourself as a player, but they don't. But you can't overrule their decision. Yeah. They make the decisions. You see, so you're getting released, and you're basically told, "Look, we don't think you're good enough." And you have this big like backlash and think like thought in your head that everyone around you just thinks, "Oh, he's useless." Him. Yeah. He's he's rubbish at football, you know. Like they're looking down on you. But I found them. I got released from Middlesbrough when I was twelve, which I think was a literally was a good thing for me yeah. to kind of deal with it. But I think like when to deal with getting released, you've literally you've got to think. Look, look how far I've came. I'm play. I've played at the high. Like my instance, I've played at the highest level. In youth football, down to my hard work, yeah. and you look at a lot of the people who do say things. Because I remember I was twelve, and people were taking the mick out of us in school, and I hated it. Like I literally, I, I didn't want to go in there in the school. Like I didn't. I just, I told my mom, I'm not going in. I'm, yeah. But you look at the people who say that. Like I don't think what they've done, they're in a position to really mm-hmm. say that yeah. like what you've done is like rubbish. Like yeah. they they can't say that because you've done your best, you know? So yeah. I think I think it's difficult I always have this conversation when I'm at clubs. It's difficult because for a young lad you have to have the mindset that you're gonna be the one percent that is yeah, gonna get a contract. Because if you don't, you're not gonna get the contract. So if you constantly have that mindset not everybody's going to get a contract. And although you keep getting told, you know, you have to think about these other options, you have to have that tunnel vision. And it's to try and get the best player. And I think, you know, I think the argument I always have when it comes to clubs, because I think it's easy to say that clubs just chuck all these lads to the curb. But my argument is, name any other Monday apprenticeship, if you weren't good enough at the end of your thing, would try and help you find another job, Mm -hmm. would offer all you these different Mm -hmm. services, You'd be a member of the PFA for the rest of your life. You know what I mean. So that I think there's a lot more that needs to be done. But I think football is is a few steps ahead of a lot of different environments. What we'll come back to is a conversation we've had about football being a bit of a saviour as well. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. come on to that. Yeah, I um, Craig, if I can come to you again, just going back to the, the male uh, kind of the, the viewpoint that everyone should be strong, that everyone should be. How can it be that in this day and age, as Andy said, where you know we challenge sexism, we challenge racism, we challenge everything, that there is still this um, responsibility is probably not the right word, but a belief that men should be strong. How, how can that possibly be? And, and do you feel 
pressured by that? Um, yeah, to an extent, I would think. If, if you if you put it in football context, obviously people that's played against me would say he's a he's a hard man. He's a, he loves a tackle, etc., etc. Um, off the field, Matt, you'll I love a laugh and carry on things like that. And uh, to to come in uh, to put it as someone that you're actually not that strong mentally, which is obviously different from physically, and you you're hiding behind a smile. It's uh, we've all touched on it, Andy, especially with with acting. Yeah, I can hide behind a smile. I've done it for years, you know. So in a dressing room, you come in, you've got three or four jack the lads. You've you've then got a couple of the lads that sit in the the outside and they'll just laugh and things like that. Then, as Jack said earlier, you then go home or you sit in your room and you think, no, I'm not this happy bloke sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, I, one of the biggest things with me, what I found was putting little cryptic things on social media because you don't really want it. It's the hardest thing in the world, I think, coming out and seeing you've actually got a problem. And, I mean, me and Matthew spoke previously. You put something on social media and you're... You, Call the an attention seeker, you, you know, yeah. ego trips. This I've had it all. If we're going to break a stigma, people need to cry out. People need to have that attention seeking, mm-hmm. or else no one's going to yeah. look yeah. out for them. You know. So if you want help, whether it's a tweet, whether it's a a text to someone on a night, you know, it's you need to shout out. You know, yeah. and then someone has to say, well, listen, is he actually all right? You know, because as we've discussed earlier, uh, uh, travelling here. It's all right. There's there's a lot of people, and I don't mean to sound rude when I say it. There's a lot of people who say I've I've got my mates back, I've got his back, or mm-hmm. or retweet something on Facebook or air uh, on Twitter and yeah. and share this on Facebook. Actually, go to someone and say, listen, are you all right, Mark? Are you all right? You know, I've seen that tweet. Is everything all right? Mm-hmm. And then you're giving them the sort of platform to say, actually, Maz, I'm not. I'm not all right. Can I speak to? Do you know someone I can speak to? Uh-huh. I think that's the worry for me as well, and it, it's using both of your points, actually, Craig and Jack. Jack, you were talking about at school, even you yeah, had yeah. Mickey taken out of you, yeah. you know, you were cut from Middlesbrough, the same with you, Craig, like, in terms of social media, mm-hmm. that's uh, kind of worms we don't want to be getting on to, but yeah. I think it's the, outside, <laughs> it's the outside perspective of it for me, and we live in a culture these days where it seems easier for people, or cooler for people, to decide that they're going to have an easy jive or an easy dig at mm-hmm. someone because mm-hmm. they've let the guard down, mm-hmm. you know, that they look soft because they've mm-hmm. said that on yeah. Facebook or they've yeah. made a comment on Twitter or whatever. And I think until that sort side of culture changes, we're not going to have that huge hammer breakthrough. I think the people need to be a lot more receptive towards what other people may not be going through on the surface, but behind the scenes are clearly you know, yeah, going through yeah. something bad, and that's, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you care, share, that's where you guys come in and teaching people to realise the warning signs, and yeah. social media is just such a, a difficult thing to get mm-hmm. a handle on. Yeah. Yeah. But I, is it always a negative thing, social media? No, 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 I think, no, I think social media has the, the potential to help with this yeah. subject yeah. massively, massively, yeah. it can be part of the problem, but I think it has a massive opportunity to help. In a such, you know, all we encourage to do is to share. And it's like you said, Maz, you know, attention seeking has such a negative connotation, but it's what we tell everybody to do. We tell yeah. people to get help. Yeah, so actually, you know, somebody putting a status on, yes, they might be looking for help. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so, help, so help them, you know what I mean? And it's 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 bizarre. And I think that there is the, oh, I'm here for you if you need us, but actually, 
are, are you here for us? Are you going to help us? Because somebody somebody puts that status on, and you might message them and say, "I'm okay," but you know you have you have to look and talk beyond the okay. Because yeah. the only way we're going to stop is if we talk. It's the only way, really. And you know, it, the fact the fact of the matter is, everybody feels crap. You know, everybody is going to feel crap, and. I think a lot a lot is being done at the minute around mental health problems and having a more awareness of how many people are struggling with mental health problems. Life sometimes can just be crap. You don't have to be diagnosed with something for life to just be crap. And I think, you know, everybody around the table, the thing for me, it's loss. People lose things, whether it's an identity, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whatever it is, it's loss. And at the, them times, what are you doing for yourself to look after yourself, but what is everybody else doing around you to try and help with that as well? Jack will mention social media. It was Twitter where you you put out about your, Um, um, how you saw your mental health. Um, What was the reaction like that you got? um, Well, I'll just say first, so the reason I literally, the reason I put it on Twitter was actually because I was still struggling, I was really struggling at that point when I came back from America, but it did feel like a weight was completely taken off my shoulders. I put it out there because I was so anxious about what people would um, would say, mm-hmm. and I knew if I'd go out, people would be like, "Well, why is Jack there? He's, I thought he was in America. Why are you back?" Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the, it's, it's not like they mean to be harmful, mm-hmm. but to me, I did not want to talk about it. So I put that tweet out. It's kind of just like, look, I I'm using this as a platform. I can tell everyone who I'm close to and who they're close to that the reason I've came back from America is because I'm depressed and I have anxiety. Yeah. And I hope you understand that I said that in my tweet. And then I kind of just put my phone away for a bit after, you know, I just, like, it, it took some guts to put it out there, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but honestly, the reaction I got was just absolutely phenomenal. Like, I was completely overwhelmed. Like, the support from messages from people who I hadn't even spoken to before, you know. I had people involved in football, which was brilliant, text, like, messaging me on Twitter saying, look, I've been through the same. They gave me their side of the story, what they've experienced, which I thought was great because I could really, like, open up to them as well. And also the reason I kind of put it out there was because I want to help people my age or anyone in football that, like, you literally, you you don't care about the mind. This, and it honestly is a small minority of people who are going to kind of hit you at your most vulnerable. But yeah. don't think about them because, honestly, from the support I got from when I put that tweet out was just, like, overwhelming, as I say. So, yeah. brilliant. It, it is, people do kind of live their lives out on social media now. Mm-hmm. But, again, as we say, it... it it shouldn't be seen as a negative because it can be that that mechanism, that coping mechanism that people Definitely. have. Definitely. Um, you mentioned, well, Jack mentioned about if you care share being mm. in an academy mm. uh, environment. Can you just go into a little bit about what that entails? Yeah, so um, so we've worked within professional football clubs for six seasons now, um, and we we started off um, kind of where we just wanted to talk about emotions. Really, we wanted to talk about mental health. But not mental health problems, just mental health. Um, I, it still amazes me how many people don't realise that they've got mental health. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 seen as if it's something 
it's it's seen as mental illness, not as mental health. Um, so we started that about six years ago, and for us, it was just all about having that conversation in a fun way, um, not in a clinical way, because I think there's too much, this is a statistic, this is what depression is. Actually, yeah. no, how is it real to you? And how does it work on a day-to-day basis? Um, so we've kind of, it's it's grown and grown over the years. We're now at a point uh, where we're, we're currently kind of working from under-12s all the way up to under-23s. Um, we work with parents. Um, we, we do a little bit with coaches as well. And it's, it's grown and grown. And I think that's where kind of my opinion before I, before we started working football, I could I could quite easily have said that football wasn't doing much around this subject. Being in there and seeing it, you can you can see that things are being done and addressing this issue as well as other issues. Um, but football still acknowledges that they still have a lot to do. It's not like oh well we'll just do that and that ticks the box. Football want to do this properly. Yeah. Um, but the, it, it's not it's not easy. It's not easy. I think. Even for me, and I think for everybody, to a certain extent, we still are searching for the answer of the why. Like, why why are, aren't people to, uh, talking about it? Why are so many people struggling? So I think everybody's learned while they're going as well. There isn't enough research around why people feel like this. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody really yeah, understands yeah. why to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, I think when it comes to back to the clubs... Sometimes I'll get, well, why are you going into clubs? Does that mean footballers are depressed? Well, no, not necessarily. You know, anybody can struggle. Mm-hmm. My argument is, if football can have this conversation, you putting that tweet out, the impact that has on the amount of people, the impact you've had from sharing your status, if football can talk about this, it's going to talk to so many people in a way that me standing on my soapbox yeah. can't. You know what I mean? And the likes of you having the confidence to, to open up. And it's not even, it shouldn't be seen as bravery. It should just no, be a normal thing. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. I'd been in hospital yeah. and I'd been unwell, mm-hmm. I'd probably put it on social media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll get loads of messages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not brave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might have been brave when I was six years old. <laughs> and I might have got like a present. Yeah. But like at 24-year-old, yeah. I'm not yeah. brave for going to hospital. Uh-huh. You're, you are brave for opening up about it, but it shouldn't be seen as that mm-hmm. because you're in the small minority that has opened up mm-hmm. because the fact of the matter is how many people message you and said they're struggling even you know a lot of people know my story with regards to losing Dan but my kind of anxieties I was diagnosed with OCD when I was 14 or 15 and kind of me putting something on social media I got so many people messaging me saying you know I've been through something similar mm-hmm. a lot of people are struggling and it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I genuinely believe the more stories of hope, the more stories of people mm-hmm. who have said, do you know what, I feel crap. I still, I still do. Mm-hmm. I'll see with my asthma. I'll never be cured of my asthma, probably it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't need to be cured. I have bad days. Mm-hmm. I have bad weeks. I think that's a good element of social media, the fact that, going back to what I was saying before, I probably came across like I was lambasting the things, but <laughs> didn't intend to. It is a small minority. It is a very, very small minority out there, and the way I've kind of lived my life, for the most part, apart from when I was refusing to open up about things, was very much a case of, I couldn't give a damn what the small minority think, it's very much a case of what's going to help you, what's going to help your loved ones, Mm -hmm. and I think that's what's needed to break things through, and it's that, it's almost, I don't know whether it's the same for you guys, but when I was going through what I was going through, I almost had a eureka moment where I woke up one morning and went, you know what? What am I doing? Yeah. You know, what yeah. am I actually doing here? Uh, it's time to actually change this. I can't live my life like this. And 
when that moment hits, I think that's when it starts breaking down, and that's when you can start, yeah. you know, taking whether it be to social media or going get therapy or talking to your family, whatever it might be. I think that's what it needs to be, and that small minority on social media or the small minority in you know in real life shouldn't matter at all, no. as far as that's concerned. It's your, you know, I know we talk about, it, but it is your health, not physical, mental. And you made the point there, Matthew, about it. The amount of people who are here. You know, go on. Yeah, but you're just a bit tired, aren't you? You're just a bit stressed. Yeah. Well, the, the other one when you're talking about somebody who who is struggling, well, he's got mental health, not yeah. mental health issues. Oh, he's no. got mental health. You're right. He has got mental health. Like so everyone yeah. else. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. When when we look at, uh, it, it, we'll talk about football for for a moment, Craig. Yeah. Uh, is the, the the longest serving footballer in the room? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Matthew just looks like he is. That's just me good. I can't even talk about that. If we, um, if you look at when you first started playing, um, do you feel attitudes have changed? And if so, how much? Um, or do you see them changing? I'd like to think they'll, they'll be changing. Just even off the bat of this, do you know? Um, has it changed? I'll be honest, I don't think it has, no. Um, you've certainly got, obviously, when I first started, I was 17, uh, with Chesley Street and played with the likes of Colin Wake and proper old school players. Um, and that wouldn't, mental health issues would never have been scratched, you know what I mean? You would, there if you'd, no, there weren't. There was no such thing. Um, and then, obviously, I would probably say in the last, only even the last five, five six years, yeah. has it really been yeah. Um, yeah. brought to the fore? I've got a good question about this because I've thought this for a while. So I I have literally had days when I've had a game where I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to sit in my room in darkness because I feel that that bad. Mm-hmm. And I've yeah. I've kind of tried to manufacture this reason of why I couldn't make it yeah. to football. Yeah. Would you ever or it kind of do you think we'll ever get to a point where you could text your manager and say, do you know what, I am that down today, mm-hmm. a bit like an injury, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that I can't play today? Well, it is an injury. Oh, yeah, it and and that, it that's is, yeah. the point. Will we ever get to a point where people people kind of accept that as a reason? Um, I, I just think that I've been fortunate where I've, I've played for Baz Fleming and, and yeah. Porty for, yeah, yeah. for 15 years, and I've known Wakey for probably 20 years. Mm. Again, it's about speaking out. Mm. If you if you don't speak to your manager and say that you have some sort of issue, yeah, it'll be it'll be hard. But I felt that I had to make the move. Obviously, th- three. Well, the season we went up, um, I walked off the pitch against Whitley Bay. We're getting beat, and I was normally football. This will be the same. If you're doing something you love and footy's what I love. For 90 minutes, I don't think about anything else. Definitely. Definitely. But that game, we were getting beat and nothing was going right. And I just said to, to Baz Fleming, get me off this pitch. And I walked off, I I left playing. the club. You would have been. I think I was playing. Left the club. Um, he, he said he wanted to keep us. Baz just said, maybe it's, it's time you went. And I accepted it. It was my yeah. fault. Ended up at Burley. Should never have went to Burley. Didn't work out for, for a couple of reasons. Probably because I wasn't mentally right to do that. Mm. Um, had I been a little bit more open with, with Carl and Baz and that, maybe I wouldn't have played that game. Maybe they would have just said, listen, do you want a, a little breather? But until we actually speak out, because it, it's one thing criticising people for not helping, 
if you don't want the help yeah, yourself, that's yeah, the main yeah, thing. Definitely, Admit definitely. the problem, and then since I've done it and I've come out and uh, as, again we discussed this when we're travelling up um, on last Thursday, I put a big message into the um, the group chat at Chesley Street and just said, "Listen, lads, I know one or two years are struggling. I've seen it." And if any of you need anything, you just want to speak to us, you need a pint or you, you need somewhere where you, where I know you can go for help, just let us know. Yeah. And off the back of that, for the 20 people in the group chat, you've got some of them that don't respond to anything, even if you said you were. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but out of the 20 odd that's in there, I would say 99% said, Maz, that's absolutely brilliant. And then off the back of that, and I, obviously I won't mention names, yeah. you've got three lads that then come to us and say, listen, this is what I'm going through. And I say, right, the first thing is, massive pat on the back because you've actually came to someone mm. I'll not judge you you know a lot of people think that's another thing right. you think you're going to be judged doesn't matter who you speak to right. even if it's a doctor right. you know oh, you're yeah. going in there and I, I found exactly. it the hardest thing in the world you think right. everyone cares but yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know what I mean but yeah. you think everyone doesn't care yeah, sorry, of course. but yeah. really they do, um, they do I, yeah. I just wonder whether we, we've talked about the fact that it's you know perceived as a macho game football in the same sense that rugby or any contact sport might be I just wonder whether to go back to the very, very first question of how you change it, how you try and break through that wall, is whether you start perceiving talking out as a strength anyway, which is obviously what we try and yeah, do, yeah. rather than this weakness that's going on at the minute. Because it's still seen as, and I don't know whether, you can shoot me down if you want guys on this one, I've, been, I've grown up with Northern League, not playing it, but watching it with my uncle and my dad all my life. Compare that to the professional game where there's obviously high-profile casualties like Robert Enker, Gary Speed as well. Mm -hmm. There is more being done at the professional tip of the game. As that filters down to the 8th, ninth tier of football, especially up here in the North East where the Northern League is regarded and is a hard league, it's a tough league, Mm -hmm. tough guys playing there. I just wonder whether not enough's been done at the top of the game. It's not enough. I don't think it will be enough for a long, long time yet. But more is being done at the top end and as it filters down, Definitely not enough is being done towards the 8th, 9th. Well, I, I, when um, Matthew was talking about, obviously, the, the foundation going in and to the pro clubs, etc., which is it's brilliant, you've obviously got the PFA, which is support mechanism for yeah. Yeah. ex-pros, former pros. You haven't got any form of support for, for non-league, yeah. you know? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say to you, Matty, do you think in the future, there would, being a, a northeast charity, would you start to maybe... Going my my, argue, my my thing I would say I'll talk to anybody that will listen to us. Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult because you can't be everywhere at oh, once. Yeah. But I think I I do agree that it's almost looked at. You know, at the end of the day, I I'm I'm quite honest. When I was coming into the the Northern League and kind of that that standard football, I had such a like wrong view of what the players would be. I thought they'd be big, horrible, elbows flat, flat, couldn't run. But actually, you know, you've got some very talented Mm. footballers, especially in the North East. You have some very talented footballers and some of which kind of live a lifestyle of a pro to a certain extent. You know, they'll they'll, they'll prepare properly for a match. They might train twice with the team. They Mm. might go for a couple of runs. Mm. But they don't have the access to some of these services. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there is something more around kind of the team kind of camaraderie to a certain extent, and actually, you know, because most teams have a group chat nowadays, mm-hmm. actually. And how how many group chats would reach out around this subject? But can could we actually encourage that? Mm-hmm. Because if one did, 
I guarantee you go yeah. through every club in the Northern League. If one lad reached out, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but if they did, mm-hmm. or if they just dropped a message after this, say, just look, I've just listened to that. Mm-hmm. If anybody like you did at Chester, mm-hmm. the knock-on effect that could have, hundred percent, hundred percent, because it's it is about having people around you mm-hmm. and a, a team that's that's what that's what like you are. were uh, saying before Matthew as well just about um like you asked create the question you know uh, have you ever woke up yeah, yeah. on a on a day and thought you know what I'm gonna like message my manager uh-huh. I'm not playing today like just to help anyone out there like so when I was in America um it was literally, I think it was my last training session, so a bit like when you walked off the pitch, Craig, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that was probably, was that your last ride, uh, kind of? So, <sighs> I like with that club. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, um, I hadn't slept that night. I like, were training literally like six in the morning, training brutal over there. Yeah. Like you're literally getting up at like five <laughs> in the morning. They're like pounding the gym and be like, like deadlifts, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh no. Fist bumps and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like all of that. And you know, I was just, I was not, and I, I couldn't sleep, you know, just obviously just because I was struggling with my mental health so badly. And um, that training session, the, don't know why, you just absolutely ran went the ground before we started. And I was absolutely knackered. And then we had a game coming up and on that following week and we played like a little practice match straight away in that training session and then literally I couldn't move I'm normally like quite fit myself I, I, I'd i say like I can get about a bit but that training session I just couldn't move I was absolutely exhausted and the the, the gaffer came up with us and he went because he's English <laughs> so uh, yeah surprising and then he said look like you're I want to play in this game, Jack, but you're not you're not doing enough for us, son. Like you, yeah. you need to get about. You need to put titles in. And as soon as he said that, literally, I was on the pitch. The game was going on, and I just broke down. And I just said, I just started crying my eyes out, and I said, "Look, I I've, I should have probably told you this, but like I am struggling badly. I can't train. Like I'm not in the right frame of mind to train. Mm. Um, is it all right if I go off, get my head straight?" And literally off I went. I went in the change room. I like, cried my eyes out just because I was... I think I, I was literally just past it all. I didn't care about football. Yeah. I'd say I'd go as far as I absolutely hated football. I hated anything to do with it. I didn't want to play anymore. And um, I came off and I rang my dad because he's like my go-to person. I said, I, I, I want to come home. Like I'm sure of it. Because I've been debating on it, and I was like, I'm, yeah. I'm coming home, and like I still th- don't regret coming home. It was the best decision that I could have made for my mental health, because that's the most important thing. Yeah. Mm. And then, um, just like Matthew was saying, you know, if like anyone is out there and like literally just wants to stay in bed, the they're gonna understand. You're not gonna be dropped the next week for not turning up, uh, yeah. because trust me, there's people who think that I think that oh, I don't want to go because I'm struggling but yeah. I might not play I might upset them yeah the, be- the best example and I'm going a bit higher is um, is, it, is it Billy Key yes, or, uh, who was uh, at yeah, Stanley and, uh, and the gaffer there he was seriously struggling like suicidal and he he basically said right just go and take a month off I don't want you here I don't want you doing anything I just want you to take a month off and then that season he was top goal scorer and it, it is that you know I think 
you, you're right, and I think you're right. I, I agree with Wiggy. You know, if if you were if you were honest, mm-hmm. I think you know the the would be that sincerity there Definitely. for some managers. Yeah, yeah. I think when you go back to the old school reference and stuff, mm-hmm. that there is a, a level of understanding that needs to be needs to be better for managers as well. Definitely. Of if I te- if I text and say, look, I I kind of get because there are times. I just physically can't even get out of bed. Mm-hmm. I can't even be bothered. Like mm-hmm. to to string a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. Is it? It's interesting you say that actually, then, because you know we've talked about it at the top level, haven't we? You know, yeah. we've got the players' guidebook. I think it is a handbook that yeah. the PFA had released, yeah, yeah. which is obviously making difference. But at this sort of level, is there more of an onus now on managers not to be just managers on the pitch, but man managers more to the point? to see things that other people might not be able to see because when you're playing football I can't put me into this bracket <laughs> at all because I'm god awful on the pitch as Mark will probably testify but when that's you're a, that, on the that's pitch that's a whole other episode <laughs> <laughs> that will take 45 minutes when you're on the pitch you're obviously giving it all you are literally at you know 5-10% by the end of a game that is when your characteristics when your true personality shows that's when your acting drops because you don't have the energy mm-hmm. to act anymore yeah, Craig you said yeah. you had to walk off the pitch yeah. is there then not an onus on this level for managers to be, like I said before, more man management on that, to notice these triggers and to see things and ask the question. The, ma- the managers that stick in your head are the ones that are best off the pitch, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, the- yes, there's a level of tactics on the pitch because if it's if he's a crap manager on the pitch, you don't want anything yeah. to do with him. Yeah. But the best managers, and I know for you, the managers you've stuck around mm-hmm. are the ones that are the best mm-hmm. off the pitch. Mm-hmm. And it's not. it doesn't become... Not it's not a job. It's it's you know it's your mate. Yeah, it's, it's your the, friendship. It's your pal. Yeah, yeah. It's the person that you you share your memories with. Really, isn't yeah. it? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I think I think that you're right. You're right. It is. It's, it's the man management off the pitch, mm-hmm. and knowing everybody's different as mm-hmm. well. Because Definitely. like one size doesn't fit all. Yeah, and one lad might have to take a week off. And you'll come back flying again the next week. It mm-hmm. must be hard for managers that. And oh, this yeah, is why yeah, I've yeah, hundred percent where I. At the moment, as we're sitting here, I don't want to go into management because I know, obviously, sitting around the table, there's three players you know that have had issues. A manager's then got 20, he's got 20 personalities, 20 possible things at home. You know, there's a great saying everyone's got a battle, everyone's having a battle somewhere. Um, And I've thought, right, well, the stuff I've gone through, that was hard enough to deal with for, say, a bar's a porky away because it all came out, I was honest with them. To then have potentially 15, 16, 17 others, can I really deal with that? Can you expect a manager to deal with yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, I would expect them to maybe notice someone's um, behaviours, body language, and say, listen, arm around them. Some players don't even like an arm around them, though. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do, I love it. I love a kick up the bum, you know, and mm-hmm. some players you just can't do that. Others will sulk, you know, it's it's a hard one. Um, but. You know, it's it's something that I think hopefully when managers listen to this and they think, you know, something actually, could I maybe do better at that? Could I recognise rather than just saying, well, there's the tactics board or there's your pack at the end of a game. Is everything all right, Matty? Mm-hmm. Jack, everything all right? You know, it's it's not hard yeah. to say. Is everything are you all right? You know, yeah. so because yeah. I think like there's even things you can take off somebody's game where you it could just take a you'll just get a bollocking for maybe being tired. Mm-hmm. But actually, after the game, or a couple of days after, just 
chat in with them, ring them, mm-hmm. don't text them. <laughs> but just check, uh, that's, Craig doesn't like texts. Um, but it is just check in and just say, look, I, I realise I, I went, I kicked off, but actually, are you all right? Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, it's not as if having a dig at managers now, because it's everybody, it's education at the yeah. end of the day. And, you know, I think, I genuinely believe we're going in the right direction. I think the fact we're sat around this table, I think the fact that you would post that, I think the fact that you would talk about it the mm-hmm. way you do, I think the way I'll talk about it, we are going the right direction. We're seeing more footballers talk about it, we're seeing more people talk about it. We're a hell of a long way away, though. We wouldn't be this podcast podcast a few years ago. Yeah, put it that way. That's the thing. I saw um, the Brighton lad Anthony Knockout coming yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Was it Daily Mirror or something a few yeah. months ago? Yeah. Anthony Knockout is uh, one of the brashest footballers I think I've seen in many and many a year. But he had the wherewithal to come out and start talking about his problems away from the pitch and everything. Now, you know, they're footballers at the very, very top end of the game, Premier League footballers. But, you know, they're starting to do it. And. I hate to put them kind of on a pedestal in that sense, but if they're starting to do it, then more people are going to take note. Surely, it stands mm-hmm. to reason that there's going to be a domino effect of saying, mm-hmm. well, hang on a minute, you know, he's gone ahead and done it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I have to talk from a Premier League perspective, and people do look at Premier League footballs and say they earn 70, 80 grand a week, they drive for eyes, <laughs> they own big houses. It doesn't matter, really it's material yeah. stuff, yeah. and there are so many of them there that are struggling away, and yeah. fortunately, uh, the f- players I deal with at Newcastle United are all very, very open, very honest individuals, thankfully. And I think they'd be the type to actually tell people mm-hmm. on it open honestly if they were struggling. But there are so many others out there that wouldn't. I should say as well, Knockout's uh, mental health struggles were kicked off by his loss of his father. Yes, I think. it was. Um, yeah. And it was, it was yeah. George Colgan and the Times that he did the piece with because I don't remember reading it. Yeah. And he also did a piece yeah. with Billy Key. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, which segues nicely into yeah. the media's role in uh, breaking stigmas uh, th- this is going to be quite tough to talk about but if we go back to it's actually uh, it will be seven years this year I think since Gary Speed yeah. took his own life um, there will always be a segment of the media a very small minority that will take things negatively yeah. and this is something that we spoke about um, at length at length yeah <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we have and rightly so yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's uh, Andy, I'll come to you as someone working within the media. How important a role will the media have in the coming years if we are finally going to break through and yeah. break through this dam, as you quite nicely said? How big a role have the media got to play? Huge. Absolutely massive. The media are the medium to do it. You know, it's. <laughs> We talked social media before. It is an aspect of media. You have to take that into consideration. But equally so, journalists, reporters, you know, if there is even a sniff of a player that is struggling at a top level, a ninth tier of football, or whatever it might be, because I think when people talk to media, they automatically think BBC, Sky Sports, BT Sport, and that's it. Mm. Local media is just as important for me. It's all on the same playing field. And if they see a footballer or a rugby player or any sports athlete or anyone even any individual that is struggling then I feel like they have a duty to almost write that story um, because we've mentioned I think all of us have mentioned it in a different way each and every individual is just that they're an individual with a story to tell and if they're at that point where thankfully all of us have been where we've been ready to tell it then the media are there to basically be that vehicle to carry it forward yeah. we talk about George at the times you know we all know what we think of George and that is a wonderful writer and an even better bloke but 
the fact is that he's going out there to thousands upon thousands of people and sending this story out there. Now, this podcast is exactly the same. If one person listens to this podcast and changes them, great. An element of media has worked out in that sense. If thousands have read this Times article about Anthony Knockout, for example, or, you know, the countless media articles that I've seen on Speedo for the last seven years, then it is going to break down stigmas. It is going to affect it. It's a slow-burning process, but I think it, it might sound very, very harsh and very drastic almost and quite dramatic, but the media almost has a duty 100%. to be that. And um, my, my thing is, the reporting can, can start so many conversations, but it has to be reported in the right way. Yeah, yes. positively. Right. And I think of course. One thing that I've learned, and I'll yeah. it the minute I did the press release, yeah. is one thing that gets used quite often, yeah, yeah. which is... Yeah, so the, the main one uh, is the word committed suicide. The, mm-hmm. the words commit yeah. and kind of the connotations. So uh, historically, taking your own life, was a criminal act and that has historically I'm talking historically <laughs> this hasn't been a criminal act for a long time yeah. um, but the word committed suicide is used very very well very common amongst pretty high up tabloids as well and I think the negative connotations that has um, and the reporting around it is frustrating but even just around mental health there are still, I mean, you know, you talk about historically of the bonkers Bruno and stuff like that, yeah. but even when Aaron Lennon was struggling, yeah. there was it 80 grand a week, yeah, was, 80 yeah. grand yeah, a week, yeah. Aaron Lennon. Yeah. Yeah. What, does his, what does his income have to do with him struggling? Mm-hmm. If Aaron, or if any, I'll not say, if any other player had some serious physical illness, some serious physical Ill- illness mm-hmm. that potentially could have killed him, his eighty grand a week wouldn't have been mentioned. No, you know, no, you no, think no. of past players who, unfortunately, have taken ill, whether it been through cancer and stuff like that, which is horrific. It's absolutely horrific. The support is fantastic, mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant, and rightly so because it's a horrific thing to go through. Mm-hmm. But there are still people around this subject, and I do still think it's because they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Where eighty grand a week, Aaron Lennon is depressed if anything I think that makes it worse I think the 80 grand the status of a player or whatever it might be actually increase and speaking from a personal standpoint the reason I kind of slipped into you know troubles was I put an inordinate sum of pressure on myself and it puts pressure on people you know earning that money or being expected to you know do a certain job for a certain team that's the pressure element I think that yes you're out there to win if it's the lower leagues or you're out there to succeed or in Aaron Lennon or any professional footballer's case they're out there earning their money but like you say Matthew just because they're earning 80 grand and I think it even filters down at the lower leagues as well with the pressure it does with the pressure uh, I mean the Northern League now is you all know that the money that's getting thrown about (laughs) by (laughs) some clubs um, so for example if you just say someone's on there'll be people on 200 £300 in the, the first division Northern League mm. that that player has, still has to go out and justify if he's got anything about him he has to justify why he's getting it think about the pressure thing as well um, when I came back I, I felt a lot of pressure you know coming out of an academy um, you kind of viewed as like you, you are kind of people do look up to you they're kind of like all my mates are like are like this is Jack, plays for Newcastle. That's the first thing they say. Oh, right. This is Jack, he plays for Newcastle. Right. Yeah. Look after him. You know what I mean? So, like, to come out of, like, that, and I'm not saying everyone around is, like, I'm not saying I'm superior and everyone around me is normal, and, but I'm just saying, like, it's kind of viewed as, like, this admirable 
job and then you come out of it and um, you're literally you're looking for work. I, I made the tough decision knowing fine well leaving America would leave me in a position where, right, I'm going to have to go to college or university just like everyone else does at this age because I was a small percentage of of a of a like people who get to play football at a professional level, mm. um, to kind of come out of that and uh, kind of you've got to break your ego. Like, look, I need to, I need to get a job now. I need to find a way of of living. It, it it's quite tough. There's a lot of pressure in that aspect, and like people who've been released, young lads like me, will feel like, like the same. But no one like literally you think everyone really like cares and it's all they think about and it's all everyone talks about is you and you've got released but they don't you know everyone's got their own little yeah. battles going yeah, on definitely. and they don't people get on with the lives they're gonna the right people in your life are gonna care about you and be there for you yeah. and that's all you need and um that's I, I think the interesting word you just used there jack was ego I think ego comes into it so much. You know, not every single case, but if someone has a you know quite highly inflated opinion of themselves in particular, the more I've encountered anyway, they usually have a flip side to that. There is a mirror side to it, and that is the anxieties and all. Yeah, yeah. And that's the key word for me in that sense. There are anxieties there. What do people think of me? You know, what if I write this? What if I play like that? What's going to happen to uh, me in the future? I had it described to me once as the Superman syndrome because yeah. you think you're the only person that is going through yeah. what you're going yeah. through. Yeah. But actually, then when you go, yeah, you're not. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do think you know whatever level like you say the pressures because mm. you know not even not even financially though you know just the pressures if you're at a certain club and what that club should should achieve and mm-hmm. um, what you should achieve as being part mm-hmm. of that club mm-hmm. and you know it, it is a nice little badge of honor to see you play in the northern league it, it, it is it's a and yeah. and but actually you have to bring some substance to it as well and i think you can you put pressure on yourself firstly, but then the pressure from outside as well. And when all said and done, that you know, the mind is a fragile thing. You know, it can only sustain so much. And I think people automatically think that it goes back to the whole macho syndrome or yeah. the Superman syndrome, as you yeah. rightly said there, Matthew. They've kind of got this impression that the mind is stro- so strong that nothing's going to break it. Well, unfortunately, yeah. as we all know, that is not the case, and that's not the case for thousands of people no. across the country. Genesis has been a fascinating hour. Uh, we did say maybe forty-five minutes, but it has been an hour. Uh, which, yeah, I think we could probably fill another three or four. But just to round off nicely, um, if you had to, we'll, we'll go around the table to deliver one message to anyone listening who is struggling, who who doesn't feel they can talk. Matthew, I'll come back to you last, obviously. <laughs> See, I thought you should go first. Always <laughs> good. If you had to deliver one message to, to someone out there who's listening, who is struggling, who doesn't know where to turn, who doesn't know um, how to, 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 to support themselves or to ask for support, uh, what would it be? Craig, I hope you don't mind, I'll come to you first. No, um, I would just say you're not alone. There's thousands of us out there. Um, and the main thing is admitting you've got a problem, wanting help, and then speaking to someone. It doesn't have to be someone that you trust. It can be anyone, because a lot of people are worried about people judging and things like that but um, I mean obviously us three are well known you two are well known I would just say drop us a message on Twitter drop us a message on Facebook I'm easily found doesn't matter who you are who you pray for you know just search Celtic just, yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> hashtag Celtic um, no but just just speak out just speak out and, and certainly don't be ashamed um, literally 
the same as Craig. Like, if you're going through an experience which is really having a, a tough toll on you and you, you're like me and you just want to stay in your room and cry and, you know, just sit in darkness almost. Like, I can literally tell you how I cope with it, how I got through it, because I have been through it. And if you're going through it right now, like, I'm not just going to be like, oh, that's a shame that you're going through that. I'm going to be like, look, this is what I've done. I hope this works for you. Maybe it'll just add and it'll make your day a bit better. Yeah. But, yeah, honestly, anyone out there can message me. You know, you've got the likes of Matthew, if you care, share, which is an absolutely brilliant charity, which is like, I'll take over them as well, you know, but, like, um, there's there's loads of support networks out there. I can smell by the smoke, but Matthew's still thinking, so... <laughs> Andy will come here. I think mine's really, really simple, and it goes off prior experience, and it's just don't be scared. You know, for everyone, for one person like yourself who believes that, you know, Craig, you said it there, that you're alone in all of that. Mm-hmm. You're not. There are thousands of other people who are going through exactly the same, if not more than you're going through, and they're going to talk. Yeah. Eventually, they will talk. And you will do exactly the same thing. And I tell you what, one of the best things that I ever did in my entire life was I decided, for anyone who knows me, I do like to talk quite well, which is highly ironic, the fact that I didn't at that time. But the best thing I ever did in my life was actually I decided to open my mouth and I decided to share it. And you don't be under any illusion. You do not feel relief as soon as you do it. You feel pain. You feel pain by seeing the looks on your loved one's faces. You feel pain by the fact that you've had to go through that for however many months, years, whatever it might be. But trust me, light at the end of the tunnel is there. You will feel relief. You will feel like a completely different person. And if you want to be back to the person that you always knew who you were, then you will open your mouth and you'll talk. Matthew? Follow that. Um, (laughs) Talk and save lives. It's it's simple, you know. If we talk... As a man... In this country at the minute, under the age of 45, the biggest or the likeliest thing to kill you is you. If you twist that, though, the most likely thing to keep you alive is also you and your mates and mm. your teammates and your managers and stuff like that. Yeah. If we talk, we're going we're gonna to keep ourselves alive. It's as simple as that. And the other thing I would say is everybody's conversation is different. You know, some people struggle to actually talk like this. Some people physically can't do this. Mm-hmm. But actually, we've done it before. Do you want to go out for a run? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Do something that works for you. Talking is the most important thing, but you've got to do things that help yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, men especially will have some pretty bad coping strategies. Mm-hmm. You, you know, we do, we do, we do stupid things sometimes. But, you know, talking saves lives. And the only way, maybe next time we do this podcast the stats will change as if we talk 100% once again uh, thanks to, to everyone for being so open and honest um, I did say at the start that if uh, if anyone has been uh, affected by anything that's been discussed you can get in touch with various people Matthew or company when your expertise on this uh, the various people who are contactable yeah, um, yeah of course they are they are. Oh, sorry, you put us on the spot there. You know, so kind of where you can reach us through through uh, social media. We are only nine or five, and um, the Samaritans are a fantastic national body for a for a helpline service. Um, Calm is one that I would always recommend as well, which is the campaign against living miserably, uh, specifically aimed at men. Um, 
or your family, your friends, you know, your whoever. Everybody's different, and whoever you feel most comfortable with. There's tech services out there. There's web chats. There's helplines. 